All right, so today we're, as we've walked through, honestly, as we've walked through these uh, Ten Commandments, you kind of think you know them, and then if you look at them a little deeper, there's nuances to it that maybe you didn't know, and, and then it's like, okay, well, maybe uh, I don't have this down as pat as I think I do. Today we're going to talk about uh, you must not steal, thou shalt not steal is kind of where we're going to be today. Really interesting, George Barnett is a statistician and he's a Christian and he does some research on people's opinions and ideas about things. 86% of Americans feel like they don't break this particular commandment, which is really interesting. Uh, we're going to look at it and break it down and then I, I think that number would be different if they had heard this, uh, this message after, uh, before they, uh, or after they uh, t- had taken the survey, but... Um, let's start with a question. The question is this. Yeah. Would your, would your behavior change if you thought someone was watching? Now, the answer is yes, it would change. In fact, that's why people put cameras in uh, restaurants and banks and that sort of thing, because it does change how people behave. When we lived in Dallas, they started putting cameras on intersections so people would stop running red lights. Uh, what happened was people would stop sh- short and people would hit them, hit them in the back. So it kind of it, it solved one problem but created another one. Um, there's a, a university called Newcastle in England, and the psychology department wanted to do a little experiment on the faculty at Newcastle University. And so uh, they had a, a teacher's lounge where there was an honor system on if you were uh, drinking coffee or tea or that kind of thing. There was a, a price list, and then there was an, uh, they called it an honor box, and you put your money in the box for whatever you took uh, as uh, snacks or coffee, that kind of thing. Well, so they, the experiment they did was this. They listed on the wall, here are the prices of the coffee or the snack or whatever. And above the price list, some weeks they would put a picture of flowers or something. But some other weeks, uh, alternating weeks, they would put a picture of eyes. Some, just, a, just a set of eyes. Now, the weeks where they had eyes up, uh, they received three times more money than when they didn't have eyes up. So they thought, okay, well, let's expand the experiment. So there were bike racks. And there was there was uh, an issue with uh, cycle cyclists being uh, cycles being uh, stolen, and so they put this up. Sixty-two percent less bike theft where these signs were up. Really interesting. They did it for a year, but there were other bike racks that didn't have these signs up. There was an increase in bike theft, sixty-five percent, nearly a. a uh, a one-for-one one offset. The, the answer to the question then is, yes, we, we do change our behavior when we think someone's watching us. So, when God says to us, you must not steal, here's the idea around that. The, the idea around the eyes. We want to do, for the most part, most of us want to do the right thing, but without accountability, sometimes we, we lapse. We, we sort of don't always do what, what we were called to do. So, when the Bible says you must not steal, we sort of, again, 86% of us think, well, we've got this made. And probably in this room, it's more like 100%, because I don't see any of you uh, feeling, looking thievy. Uh, you know, uh, I was watching you come in. I thought, I didn't think one time, he looks like a thief. Uh, so, uh, we, we sort of all kind of feel like we've got this one down. However, like most of them, there are nuances to this that we might not have thought of, and we're going to talk about those today. 
I looked up in Webster Dictionary for synonyms for uh, thieving or for stealing. Uh, there are 95 words that are related to how one person might take something from someone else. Let me give you a couple. Uh, pilfer, to loot, to abscond, lift, embezzle, swipe, snatch, nab, liberate, misappropriate, borrow, pinch, heist, and burgle. Uh, that's a few. Now let's talk about a few of the ways that maybe we don't, don't come to the, the forefront of our minds of how people will, and maybe we, steal sometimes. Alright, so, we steal by deceiving customers. By deceiving customers. Alright, now, I want to read this amazing text to you. This is from the prophet Amos. It was written 3,000 years ago. L listen. They overcharge, use false measures, and fix the scales to cheat the customers. It's as if Amos lived today. Um, but lest we think, oh, you know, uh, back in the 50s it was better. You, you all have heard of Norman Rockwell. Look at this little picture he painted. I, lo I love that. Because <laughs> they're both trying to cheat. You know, everybody's cheating. It's kind of how it works. And so, it's when a mechanic sells you a part that you really don't need. This happens when a rental center charges. They have these ads, and then, they, then you read the fine print, and you think the ad is for something for a month, and you're renting it by the week. And so now it's four times more than you thought it was. It's when check-cashing places charge exorbitant amounts to cash those checks. It's when salesmen skip over the fine details and don't tell you the complete truth. I, I like real estate, I like reading ads and that sort of thing, but it's really interesting to me. Uh, sometimes real estate ads are very creative in their language. None of our realtors, we have the best realtors, we have several. We are like the real estate church. Uh, if you need to buy or sell a house, come see me and I can hook you up with about 12 people who sell houses. But when you look at their, their ads, sometimes you'll see this language. Charming, unique, or quaint. You know what that means? Weird. Uh, it means it's weird. Cozy, you know what that means? Small, that's right, you all know this. Easy access to everything. It's right by an interstate and it's really loud. That's what that means. Uh, efficiency kitchen? Uh, one seater. Yeah, there's only one person in there. Uh, needs TLC? You know what that means? Money pit. Uh, that's what that means. Bright or light? <laughs> they painted everything white. That's what that means. Reto, retro? Oh, that's right. Uh, somebody called me retro the other day. It was really not very nice. Okay, so when we don't completely tell the truth when we're trying to sell something, uh, that's a way that we steal. Uh, giving less than our best at work. Look at this text. Whatever you do, do it from your heart for the Lord and not for people. Whatever you do. Whatever job you're hired to do, do your very best. Uh, sometimes we think about um, employees taking supplies from work. It, it is that, but it's more than that. If you're paid by the hour, but you come in late and you uh, have somebody check you in, you know, uh, punch the clock for you, and, and you check out early, and, and you take an extended lunch break, and you take four or five different breaks uh, that you really only are supposed to get two. I mean, there are lots of ways where we don't give our best, and we should. We who follow the Lord are called to a different standard. You must not steal. And when you're not giving the person what they're paying for, then that is thievery. Now, I want to tell you a story. Let me show you a picture. This guy's name is David Cronin. 
He was the pilot of this plane back in 1989. Um, He took off from Honolulu. They were flying to New Zealand. And at 22,000 feet, that door blew off. At 22,000 feet, 100 miles from land. And when it did, it changed the aerodynamics of the plane. Unfortunately, nine people were sucked out of that hole and perished. And now he's got the responsibility of, how do I land this plane? Because two of the engines were damaged. Uh, The flaps didn't work anymore like they were supposed to. You're supposed to land that size plane at about 175 miles an hour. He couldn't get it under 195 miles an hour. And... Everything that he knew, he was 38 years in the industry, but everything he knew changed because he had never really flown a plane with a hole in the side before. He had just taken on 300,000 pounds of jet fuel. Um, He didn't know how to get rid of that without exploding the plane. He didn't know how to land a plane at 195 miles an hour. He'd never done it before. And they asked him, now by the way, he landed it perfectly. But they asked him after it was over with, I, this is just a great quote, they said, what, did you, what went through your mind? And he said this, I said a prayer for my passengers momentarily, and then I got back to business. Isn't that a great quote? He, he prayed, and, and then he worked. And, and he used the skills that God had given him to land that plane. There's a pastor in New York who was asking about this. His name is Tim Keller. And he said, one of the main ways that you love others in your work is through the ministry of competence. Serving God by doing your job as well as you can do it. When I go in for um, a procedure, I, I like it when my doctor prays with me because I'm thinking to myself, at least he's asking God for his help. Um, we were in an accident one time, and my daughter Mallory had a, a ruptured spleen. And the doctor, I don't think he was a Christian, but he was about to go in to operate on my five-year-old baby. And I grabbed his hand and I said, Doctor, I'm, I'm going to pray for you before you go in. There is some competence to doing your work. There, there's a blessing to doing your work with competence. And, and God has called us to this. Look at what it says. Whatever you do. So, it used to be everybody thought, well, uh, to really follow God, you had to become a preacher, or you had to become a, a worship pastor. I mean, that's less than a preacher, but, uh, you know, uh, you had to become something like that. Yeah. Is Chris still in here? That's funny, I don't care who you are. Uh, you had to be, get into ministry. And so there was a guy who had heard Martin Luther. The, uh, Martin Luther was this great uh, uh, Kind of, he's kind of a monk. Uh, he's the one that uh, started the Reformation, and, and uh, uh, he just was brilliant, had a brilliant mind. He translated uh, the Bible into German. I mean, he's just super smart. And so one time, he was, he, somebody asked him, he's, you know, I'm, I'm convicted, I want to I serve God, what do I need to do? And, and Luther said, well, what do you do now? The guy said, well, I'm, I, I make shoes. I'm a, I'm a cobbler. I make shoes for a living. And and Luther's suggestion to him was this. He said, okay, well, make really good shoes and sell them at a fair price. Wow. (laughs) They like that story too. Wow, Martin Luther, we know him. Okay, so, whatever you do, you give him the best. Number three, pay what you owe. Look, Look at the language here. The wicked borrow money and never pay it back. I mean, it's like, yikes. 
We live in a culture where we don't want to insult anybody. I'm fairly certain if you call somebody wicked, that's bad. I mean, I think their feelings are going to be hurt. The wicked borrow money and don't pay it back. The other day I was uh, going to a soccer match, one of Elisa's soccer games, and um, I calculated this the other day. So I've got a 29-year-old daughter and a 15-year-old daughter, and they've played all and four the uh, four daughters all together, and they've all played multiple sports. I, I should really calculate someday how many games I've been to. Some weeks it, some weeks it was three or four or five games. Uh, uh, it just I went to I was always at a ball game, and so when you go to visiting teams and even sometimes at your own court, they'll make you pay. But if it's basketball. You kind of have to walk through a door and there you get in. Or if it's volleyball, you walk through the door and, and there's the table. But with soccer, it's huge. And, and most soccer fields don't have fences and stuff around. You could kind of sneak in if you wanted to, if you wanted to cheat. Well, so the other day we were at this soccer match. The only time in a long time I've ever paid to watch soccer. By the way, they should pay you to watch soccer. Uh, really. Uh, they really should pay you. Anyway. They should, <laughs> I'll quit. Um, uh, so I walk up and there's a little guy on a table. And um, I, I, I had the opportunity to pay $3 to watch Elise play soccer. And a person behind me, I knew, I knew this family, um, they said, <laughs> we have to pay to watch this? That was, their, that, was their, that was their language. We have to pay? It's like, they didn't have any money. And so I was like, well, I, six bucks. So who doesn't carry six bucks? So I gave, I gave six dollars to pay for them to come in. The very next time I see them, the, the wife of this couple, she, um, she says, I need to pay you back. It's like, well, no, really, it's six dollars. She gave me five. And she said, I, I, so I've got, I'll give you the other dollar later. I'm like, you really don't have to worry about that. Next time I saw her, she gave me the, I mean, I have, I've been paid back. And I thought to myself, you know, you didn't have to, but it really kind of, it's kind of cool that you paid me back. I mean, I think that's really nice. I, I really didn't think much after I paid for it. I really sort of didn't think about it anymore. But it was really nice of them to pay. Um, the Bible says, give to the one who asks you. And, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. This is Jesus saying there is opportunity in life to give, and you should take advantage of it. Occasionally here at church, as a pastor, I encounter people who have needs. Um, sometimes they ask for assistance. Now, as a pastor, I want to be a good steward of the money of the church. I want to be a good steward of my own money. I want to be a good example for, for you on how to handle finances. And so I'll interview folks and I'll talk to them and I'll ask them, you know, what are you going to use the money for? Because you don't want to give somebody money if they're going to use it to buy drugs or, you know, that kind of thing. That, that's, now you're just enabling, you're not helping. So I don't want to be an enabler, but I do want to help people. Here's what's really interesting to me. I've been in ministry about 30 years. I've had conversations, lots of conversations like this. There's often an element where they'll say, uh, I'll, I'll get paid on Tuesday and I'll come back and pay you. Or the check's in the mail and I'll come back and pay you. Uh, I can count on no fingers how many times somebody's actually come back to pay me. Uh, so, when the Bible says this, owe nothing to anyone, 
except for the obligation to love one another. What I say to people nowadays, I, I used to say, well, okay, you know, you can pay me back if you want to. I don't even say that anymore. I say, okay, this is a gift. I, I or our church is giving this to you. Um, you don't have to pay us back. If God compels you and you feel like you want to pay back, then you, pay, you, you help somebody else. You pay it forward. But you don't feel... I, I want to take that, that, uh, the guilt off of them. Because I can't imagine saying, I'm going to pay you and then not paying you. And, and, and that happens. That used to happen. And so I, now I just kind of let them... I just let them off the hook. No, 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 no. Don't pay me back. Uh, or don't pay the church back. Just... Use that money to do something good for somebody else. Because I want to live by owe nothing to anyone. So if we have debts, we are supposed to pay them, even to the government. Sometimes we steal by evading taxes. I'm going to give you a, a clarification here in just a second. But it says, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. This was written by a guy named Paul to Christians who lived in an occupied country, the Romans occupied their country, and were brutal to them. So basically, you're paying taxes to people who are unkind, uh, unappreciative, and unhelpful. Now, we pay taxes, and, and I, I feel like a, 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 sometimes the government doesn't use the money wisely. I, I, that's, not, that's not what the verse says. It doesn't say pay taxes if you agree with the government. I, I'm fairly certain that Paul and his Christians in the first century didn't agree with the government. They were the ones persecuting Christians. And yet Paul says, pay your taxes. Now, don't pay more than you have to. Tax avoidance, that's good stewardship. If there are a way, a tax loopholes or if there's a way to pay less tax, you should pay less tax. Uh, you shouldn't pay more than you, you have to. But tax evasion, when, when you get paid under the table and all those kinds of things, that's, that's ungodly. It's... Illegal. It's not what we're supposed to do. We pay what we owe, including to God. So, we steal sometimes by ignoring our tithe. Let's look at this verse from Malachi, or if you're Italian, Malachi. Malachi 3.8. Should people cheat God? This is God speaking to His people. Yet you've cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we cheat you? And God says, you've cheated me of the offerings and tithes due to me. God asks for 10%. He could ask for 50, he could ask for 25, he asks for 10. Every dime I've ever earned in my life is because God has given me the ability to do those things. I had the very good fortune of having Christian parents. I remember my first job was mowing my neighbor's yard. Mr. Robinson needed his yard mowed. He paid me $6. I'm fairly certain it was $6. Times have changed. I, I mowed the yard on Saturday, got paid my $6, came home, showed my daddy, Daddy, I got paid $6. Daddy said, tomorrow at church, you're going to want to give $0.60 cents to the church as a tithe. Yes, Daddy. I had the great uh, fortune of b being raised by parents who taught me that. Miriam did as well. And so when we married, it was never really an issue for us about tithing. That was kind of our deal. 
and, and we really didn't we didn't even talk about it much. Then there was um, one of the churches I pastored. We had a building campaign, and we needed to raise money for an expansion. I forget one point two million or something like that. And so what a lot of times they do is they ask for a pledge. You pledge some money, and so we're going to give this much. Uh, you know, $25 extra or $250 extra, whatever it is, uh, for three years, for 36 months, that's what we're going to do. And so we did that, and we, we, we decided above our tithe we were going to give that extra. And, and when, that, when that program was over, we just sort of stopped, kept, <laughs> kept that percentage, that extra percentage, and we started what we call in our family a, a missions fund. And so Miriam and I, we give our tithe, and then we have this other extra that we set aside so that when, like the, a couple of weeks ago, we're going to talk about this later, but a couple of weeks ago we had these refugees that needed some assistance. And so, well, we have this little, this little pool of money that we can pull from to, to do missions stuff. And so when a kid needs to, uh, assistance going to youth camp or, or when we go on a mission trip and, and we can uh, give to that, then we have this pool of money we can pull from and sometimes it's somebody that we know personally that has a need, and so we'll pull from that, and, and that's our missions fund. That's our above our tithe that we, um, we have this opportunity to bless people with. We love that. Probably uh, the thing that blesses our family the most is when we take money from our little, our little missions fund and give it. What's really interesting, Mir- Miriam and I have been married so long now that we'll talk about hey, this, this opportunity is here. Um, let's give to that. And then I'll, I'll say, uh, Miriam, I have in mind this number. What do you think? What do you think we should give to this? And it's remarkable how many times we have the same number in mind. Usually she's more generous than me. We always go with her number. Because here's the deal. Unless, unless I'm more generous than her. We always go with the higher number because... You just can't outgive God. He, you can't outgive Him. Um, and so we just decided a long time ago we're going to, if we can bless somebody, we can help somebody, we're going to help them. Now, s- some people weren't raised that way. If you're uh, thinking about, hey, I'd like, to, I'd like to tithe, but it's just so much, all right, we'll make it a priority, set a percentage, uh, we're going to give 2%, and then try to. Increase it progressively. Okay, well, this year, 2%. Next year, 3%. I think 10% is the goal. That's where you ought to be. That's where you ought to try to be. But if you can't get there today, then you work on it because everything we have is a gift from God. And He's asked that we uh, contribute back to ministry and to do things and help people 10%. All right, let's talk about why we should be honest. First, God is watching. I love this verse. The Lord's eyes scan the whole world to find those whose hearts are committed to Him and to strengthen them. He is watching out for us. There was a, a, Christ, a Catholic school um, uh, cafeteria, and the kids were walking through the line, and, and it was sort of a serve yourself, and there was a, a, a basket of apples at the beginning, and one of the nuns had written a, a sign that said, Take only one, God is watching. The kids progressed down the line, and at the end there was a platter of cookies, and there's no sign. And one kid wrote, take all you want, God's down there watching the apples, uh, which isn't true. <laughs> God's eyes are, are everywhere. It's interesting to me, most theft happens after dark. 
That's why we lock our doors at night, because most theft happens after dark. In, in 2016, there was a, a kind of a project that was done in New York City, one of the high crime areas, and they added, they added these lights to make it bright for 24 hours a day, you know, so it's always bright. Uh, Crimes like rape and, and uh, uh, theft, all that was down in that zone where it was bright, 60%, it was, it was down 60%. Because we want to hide when we, when we do things wrong, and we think the darkness hides us. But the Bible says God's eyes are on a person's ways. That's all of us. He sees all his steps. There's no darkness or deep shadow where troublemakers can hide. We just can't hide from the sight of God. But here's another reason to do the right thing. Not only is God watching, did that, did something, oh. All right, it's back there. Can I go back one? There we go. Not only is God watching, but kids are watching. In fact, your kids are watching. Uh, when people live good, honest lives, their children are blessed. And then unbelievers are watching. Jesus said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We have, we have eyes on us. Now, the unbelievers, they may, not, they may not like you. They may not like what you believe. But if you live with integrity, they'll, they'll respect that. So you live with integrity. Another reason is I'll reap what I sow. One of, the, one of the great lessons in life is to learn this verse. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You always harvest what you plant. So if I plant corn seeds, if anything comes up, I'm going to get corn. If I plant an apple seed, the thing that's going to come up is an apple tree. I'm not going to get a pear tree out of an apple seed. You always get what you plant. Now, the thing is... Uh, dishonesty is motivated by different things. Sometimes it's greed. And greed says, I'd like to get something for nothing. And that's why gambling... Uh, uh, gambling's tough because most of the time you lose. Uh, there's a reason there are big buildings in Las Vegas. Uh, because those people don't lose very much. And, and so you might win occasionally, but you lose more than you, than you win. And, and so there's really no free lunch. There's hardly ever happens where somebody gets something for nothing. Sometimes we're just lazy. Hey, I can take it, and that way I don't have to work for it. Sometimes it's pride. Hey, I'd like to get over on somebody. That shows my intellect. I'm smarter than they are. If I can cheat them, if I can talk them out of it, that means I'm smarter than they are. Well, you might have a superior intellect, but you have an inferior character, if that's the case. So what if you... Maybe God is pricking your heart, and you're going, man, you know, I've, I've not done the right thing all the time. Okay, well, I'd say make restitution. There's a story about Jesus and a dude named Zacchaeus. Remember him? He was Irish. Uh, he was a wee little man. Uh, and uh, uh, he hid in a tree. You know what kind? Sycamore, because you all know the song. Uh, and the, the good Lord he wanted to see. And so he hides in a tree, and Jesus is walking by, and Jesus is, notices him. Imagine that. A dude sitting in the tree. Jesus noticed. And, and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, this is the cool part. He knew his name. Uh, nobody really has ever explained to me how Jesus knew his name, except he's God, he knows stuff. And he says to Zacchaeus, hey, come down, I want to go to your house, let's have dinner together. Uh, 
that's a little rude of Jesus, honestly. But uh, uh, he says, hey, let's go to dinner. Maybe that's the cultural thing. Hey, I want to be your friend. Let's break bread together. Because when you eat meals together, it's, there's something communal about that. It's really kind of a cool thing. And so Jesus sends Zacchaeus. They go have a meal, and it's scandalous. Everybody's saying, well, Jesus shouldn't go have a meal with that guy. Well, Jesus has a meal with whoever he wants to. And Zacchaeus gets convicted of his lifestyle. See, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And tax collectors were brutal. And they were guys that stole money. They got paid a certain amount, and anything over and above that, they just got to keep. And nobody kind of knew what the tax code was, so they could set it at any rate they wanted to. And so they would set the rate high, and they would charge exorbitant taxes, and then they would keep the surplus for themselves. And they had lots and lots of money. People despised them because they cheated and because they were rich. And, and folks, nobody liked tax collectors. That's why when Jesus went to have dinner with him, they were like, good grief, why would he go with that guy? And yet Jesus did. And Zacchaeus comes under conviction and he says, I need to make restitution. I, I need to get things right. So he promises, I'm going I'm to uh, right the wrongs. Anybody I've stolen from, I'm going to give back plus more. I'm going to give back everything I've stolen with interest, which is what it says to do in the Old Testament. He was kind of living by the law. Hey, this is what I'm supposed to do. And Jesus says, salvation has come to your house today. And some of us, we need to make a list. Who have I cheated? Who do I need to, to give something back to? Maybe you borrowed a tool and you broke it and then you just never gave it back. Maybe you need to buy that dude a tool. You know, Maybe you just need to make I'm, I'm serious. Make a list. There's a guy, I read about a guy, he, he had cheated the IRS, he had cheated on his taxes, he got a, a cashier's check, he sent it to the IRS with a note, he said, I am sorry, I'm under conviction, I cheated on my taxes, here's $500, if I still feel guilty, I'm going to send the rest later. I mean, like, at least start, you know, start making restitution. Pa Paul put it this way, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. You can't buy the feeling of a clear conscience other than don't steal, don't cheat. And if you've cheated, make restitution. Because to always keep one's conscience, conscience clear, man, that, that's a beautiful place to live. That's a sweet spot in life. You reap what you sow. I read a story, and you may have heard this story. Dennis Quigley is a, a mobile home owner. He owns uh, this mobile home. He lives in Seattle. And one day, he was at the house, and the mobile home was parked. Uh, not the mobile home. Uh, what's the, the, uh, what are those called? Winnebago things? RV. Yeah, he had an RV. Had it parked by his house. He just happened to be in there one night. He was working or something. And, and he hears a noise outside, and he walks out, and he sees this kid laying on the ground throwing up. And the story goes like this. The kid was going to siphon off gas. So he sticks a hose in the tank, and you know how to siphon off gas. You stick a hose in the tank, and then you suck on that hose, and, and you get the fluid uh, moving. And then once you get it moving, like you, the gas will come in your mouth, you spit it out, and then you put, it, you put the hose in the, the tank, your, your tank that you're trying to uh, take the gas from one thing to the other. Uh, he put the hose in the wrong tank. It uh, wasn't the gas tank, it was the sewage tank, and it uh, didn't end up good for him. 
So they asked Quigley, do you want, he called the police, he said, do you want to press charges? And Quigley said, no, I think he's suffered enough. Uh, so you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Another reason to be honest is when I'm dishonest, it dings my character. Kind of chips away at who I am. Jesus said, what good is it if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? And it's no good. It's no good. The Bible calls Satan a liar and the father of all lies. And every time I cheat and steal even little, little bits, I am following the path of Satan and not the path of God. God is called the author of light. In Him there is no darkness, the Scriptures say. And integrity pays. People want to work with um, a business owner who's, who has a reputation for being honest and, and telling the truth and, and going above and beyond. Another reason to be honest is God rewards honesty. It says honest people will lead a full, happy life. So what do you do? You're at the restaurant and the, the, the waitress forgot to charge you. She charged you for water and, and she really charged you, should have charged you for your, your soft drink. And you're looking over the bill. I mean, do you have the integrity to say, honey, you forgot to, or sir, you forgot to charge me for this. I need you to charge me for this. What about if you take your kid to the uh, restaurant and kids 10 and under eat free and your kid just had a birthday and it was their 11th birthday, they're watching. They're watching that. When you get my age, they, I'm, I'm almost at the senior citizen discount thing. Oh, I can't wait. Uh, and, and, and sometimes they give it to me. The other day they gave it to me. And I, I, said, I said, now listen, um, I'm, I'm not quite there. And, and she looked me over and she said, believe me, honey, you've earned it. Uh, which is really uh, not very Christian, I thought. But anyway, uh, that's what she said to me. So I took it. Uh, I took the. You, know, you get insulted, you take the discount. <laughs> In Deuteronomy it says, if you see your neighbor's ox or sheep or goat wandering away, don't ignore your responsibility. Responsibility is an adulting word. It, when you're an adult, you do responsible things. <laughs> it says, take it back to its owner. And if its owner does not live nearby, you don't know who it is, take it to your place. Keep it until the owner comes. Then return it when they do. Do the same thing if you find your neighbor's donkey or clothing or anything else that your neighbor loses. Don't ignore your responsibility. You're saying, okay, well, that's just for neighbors. Well, no. If, any, if, if you come across your enemy's ox or donkey, you do the same thing. The, the Bible is constantly raising the bar, especially Jesus. Look at what he says. Jesus says, don't store. Jesus is like a financial advisor. Don't store up your treasure here on earth where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven. Make investments long, long term. If you have any money at all, you have somebody that's a financial um, advisor and he'll help you or she'll help you invest your money in long-term investments because someday you're going to want to retire and you're going to need a little money in the bank and then you're going to want to pull off that pool of money. That's kind of how it works. Jesus is saying, okay, well, I'm talking about, Jesus is talking about long, long-term investments, like eternal investments. So Richard Foster gave this great illustration and it really speaks to me. I hope it makes sense to you. 
Let's say that on Monday, President Biden says we're going to shift from the dollar to the British pound. There's going to be a transition. And when the transition completely takes place, the, uh, the American dollar will be worth nothing. We'll all be using the British pound. Now, you don't know when the transition is going to happen because he doesn't know yet himself. But you'd be wise to start converting dollars into pounds because one day they're going to flip the switch and the dollar is worth nothing and the pound is everything. You'd be foolish to keep all your money in dollars because eventually that's going to be worth nothing and the pound is going to be worth everything. And it's kind of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, look, convert this little bit of wealth you have here eternally. Jesus always raises the bar. He always raises it. And he's saying, it's not just, it's not just don't steal. It's be generous. It's kind of his point. I love what R. Kent Hughes says, every time I give, I declare that money does not control me. Perpetual generosity is a perpetual de-deification of money. So the commandment is, don't steal. Jesus elevates it. No, no, that's bare minimum. Don't steal, it's a good starting spot, but you don't stay there. Live generously. So the question that we end with today is, am I willing, am I willing to be a person who holds stuff loosely. Not only am I not going to steal, I'm going to be willing to let you cheat me, but I'm never going to cheat you. My daddy used to say, if you can live with it, I can live without it. I just live by that mantra. You're willing to be done dirty rather than take something that's not yours. Not only that, but you're going to elevate it. Not only am I not ever going to steal... But I'm going to make restitution if I've stolen. And then, and then I want to be generous with what God has given me. I, I, want to, I want to live the way Jesus lived. When the Bible says God so loved the world, it says He did what? He gave. We're most like God when we give. Because He's a giver. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your words and the challenge today. We may have walked in thinking we had this one down, but it's pretty tough. Help us to walk closely with you in all things. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.